I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We're thankful for the beautiful songs that we've been privileged to sing together, the opportunity to pray, to read God's word, and to now think about what has been revealed in the scriptures. We want to talk tonight about foundations for spiritual security. And I want you to look with me at 1 John chapter 1. While you're turning to 1 John 1, let me just express appreciation to all of those who are present tonight, especially our visitors. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. If you are looking for a church home, I know that the elders here would be more than happy to talk to you about the opportunities for service in the church here as well as in this community. We did have a successful Vacation Bible School last week. We're grateful for all those who participated. And one person that I forgot to mention, we appreciate Brother Billy leading our singing. And I'm glad it was him leading singing and not me. But he did a great job. And I know that all those who were present appreciated his willingness to lead in lead these great songs and really when I think about the songs at VBS it brings back a lot of great memories I think about when I was a young young child growing up and singing those same same songs and so for that we're grateful as we look at first John chapter 1 we want to talk about foundations for spiritual security and I think one of the things that all of us ought to strive for in our walk with the Lord is to be strong and secure in our relationship to Almighty God. One of the ways that this is achieved is by being steadfast in the faith. There's a tendency among some to feel insecure in their walk with the Lord. And yet I believe that John, among others, emphasizes the importance to those of us who belong to the body of Christ, to feel secure and to trust in the power of what the Word of God has to say about our relationship to the Lord. And so tonight, the first thing that I want to call your attention to are some facts about the Lord. And what John is going to do is authenticate the life of Jesus. And let me just make this observation. What you believe about Jesus is going to have a lot to say about your security or insecurity in your relationship to, to the Lord. And so, when we look at 1 John chapter 1, particularly verses 1 through 3, John, in a very analytical way, itemizes or validates the Christ, that is, the historical Jesus. And not just the historical Jesus, but the eternal Jesus. And so, look if you would at verses 1 through 3. As we think about some facts about the Lord. 
and what John does to authenticate the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing I want to call your attention to is the pre-incarnate Christ. When I talk about the pre-incarnate Christ, what I'm really emphasizing is the fact that Jesus, as we know him, existed before he inhabited a human body. In other words, before he tabernacled in human flesh. And so the pre-incarnate Christ. And this, I think, underscores the deity of Christ. The fact that he is an eternal being. And so look, if you would, at chapter 1, verse 1. John said, that which was from the beginning. Now you remember in John chapter 1, in the gospel according to the apostle John, John emphasized a very similar statement relative to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. John here introducing his readers to the Christ, to the eternal Christ, to that Logos or Word of whom he said existed in the very beginning. What you and I need to understand about Christ is that he has no beginning and no ending. When we talk about Christ, we are really talking about the second member of the Godhead, God the Father, the first in that triune. And then Jesus Christ the Son, the third member would be the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Godhead are referred to in the scriptures as deity. So, John in 1 John chapter 1 said, that which was from the beginning, reminiscent of John 1, the gospel of John. But drop down and look at verse 2, if you would. He said, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life. All the way back in the book of Micah, in Micah chapter 5, at verse 3, Micah speaks of the birthplace of Christ, and he identifies that birthplace as Bethlehem. Now Matthew will tell us in Matthew chapter 2 that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea as it was written in the prophets. But Micah, in that passage of Scripture, speaks of him whose goings forth are from of old. He said, even from everlasting. He's talking about Christ. He's pointing to the coming of the Messiah. And he's saying that this Messiah is an eternal being. And that's exactly what John is saying here. He is saying that which was from the beginning. He speaks of that eternal life. Well, he's talking about the pre-incarnate Christ. But then, in the second place, note if you would what he has to say about the incarnate Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ is simply a reference to Jesus prior to his assuming a human body. When we talk about the incarnate Christ, we're talking about the fact that Jesus was clothed upon with human flesh. And so in John chapter 1, verse 14, John would say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John, in talking about the Word who became flesh, and I would preface this by pointing out that the very, the very one who became flesh, that is, who tabernacled among men, he is the very one 
who created the world, who made man in his own image and likeness. Because in John 1 verse 3, John said, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. But the incarnate Christ, the fact is that Jesus assumed human flesh. And so listen to what John said. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you. John here, over and over again, is underscoring the fact that this Christ, who tabernacled among mankind in human flesh, that they heard him audibly speak. They had the opportunity on numerous occasions to hear Jesus speak the wonderful words of life. Not only so, but they had the opportunity to touch the human body of Jesus Christ. You remember Thomas in the long ago had the opportunity to examine the nail prints that were driven into the hands of our Lord. He examined the pierced side of Christ. His response, my Lord and my God. Well, John is simply authenticating the fact that the incarnate Christ has indeed come. Now go back in the scriptures. I said just a moment ago that Jesus Christ assumed human flesh. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, the writer said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. The body of Christ was prepared where? In the womb of Mary. Now the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 1 that that which had been conceived in Mary was of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was as earthly as his mother and as heavenly as his father. So the body that Jesus assumed was prepared in, in the womb of Mary. And I, I might add that we're talking about the virgin birth of the Son of God. Go back to Isaiah 7 verse 14. Isaiah talks about the fact that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and his name would be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us, according to Matthew chapter 1. So a body was prepared for Jesus in his incarnate state. But we talk about not just his body, but his business here upon this earth. Why did Jesus come to earth? Is it not interesting that at the tender age of 12, Jesus would say to his mother and father, I must be about my father's business in Luke 2, verse 49. What was the business that Jesus came to be about here upon planet earth? Well, in John 4, verse 34, we hear Jesus saying, My work or my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. In John 6, verse 38, the Lord said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And then in the shadow of the cross in John 17, we hear Jesus saying, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Why did Jesus come to earth? You remember what the angel of God said to Joseph in that dream? The angel of God said that Mary would bring forth a son. 
His name would be called Jesus. And he said, it is he that shall save his people from their sins. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 19 verse 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save lost humanity. What John is trying to do here is underscore the fact that the Christ, the Son of God, He truly lived among mankind. He dwelt here upon planet earth. And these men, these apostles, John included, had the opportunity to hear him, to touch him, to see him, and they were authenticating the fact, he was authenticating the fact, that you and I, we can put our faith and trust in the Son of God. Now I said a moment ago, your spiritual security, my spiritual security, is tied to what I think about the Son of God. There's a correlation there. Do I really believe in the one called Jesus? Think again about the words of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, when Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul, Paul believed without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus of Nazareth truly lived among men, that he had ascended to heaven, that he had taken a seat at the Father's right hand, and that ultimately he would come again. Well, you and I, we need to have that same rock-solid faith in the Son of God. Why? Because it's going to impact our, our security or insecurity, one or the other. All right? The second thing that we need to look at in 1 John chapter 1 we talk about the facts as they relate to the Lord. But now I want you to think about our fellowship in the Lord. Did you know that you and I are blessed to have an alliance with the Lord Jesus Christ? That there's a sense in which we enjoy fellowship with deity. Having said that, look if you would at verse 3. In verse 3, John said, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now there are two realms of fellowship that we need to think about for just a moment. And then we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. When we talk about fellowship, first of all, there is vertical fellowship. When we talk about vertical fellowship, we are emphasizing the fellowship that we enjoy with deity. The basis for our fellowship with deity is our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot enjoy fellowship with God without having obeyed the gospel of Christ. Once we obey the gospel of Christ, however, Paul said we are delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It's in that sphere that he said we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. Once we obey the gospel, we are then called the children of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons or the children of God. If you've obeyed the gospel, you are a child of God. Paul would say that you are an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. 
This relationship that we enjoy is something that we ought to be extremely grateful for because inherent in that relationship are all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, as Paul would say in Ephesians 1 verse 3. Among those blessings, forgiveness, as we said just a moment ago in Colossians 1 verse 14. But also we have the privilege of prayer to know that we can approach the throne of God whatever time of day, whatever time of night. You remember what John said over in 1 John chapter 5? This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, what? He hears us. The relationship that is afforded us through Jesus Christ. I would also point out that our, that our fellowship is with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. That's what, that's what John said here. We are in fellowship with deity in 1 first, in first Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. The Apostle Paul talks about how we have been called into the fellowship of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of relationships that we enjoy in this life. There are family relations. There are those relationships that, that extend to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our classmates. Well, this relationship supersedes all relationships because we have the opportunity to be in fellowship with God, the Creator, with Christ, the Son. But then, not only is this relationship vertical in nature, but it is horizontal. That is, it, there is a relationship that we enjoy with one another. Why? Because we are members of the body of Christ. Go back and look at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the apostle, or rather Luke, the inspired historian, talks about those who obeyed the gospel on Pentecost Day. He said some 3,000 souls obeyed the gospel. In verse 42, he said, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. What, what fellowship are we talking about? The fellowship of believers. Those who belong to the body of Christ. Peter would say that we are people of like precious faith. Now, when we talk about horizontal fellowship, drop down and look at the latter part. Well, look at verse 7 if you would. John would say, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. Did you know that John said we have fellowship with one another? Those of us in the body of Christ, we are, as Peter said, people of like precious faith. There is a special kinship that we enjoy that supersedes all other relationships here upon this earth. The tie that binds the Christian religion. Our relationship to one another in Christ is really closer than the relationships that we enjoy within the context of our own family or among our friends. So, the fellowship that we're talking about is vertical and horizontal. But I want you to think with me for just a moment about what John has to say in verses 5 and 6. First of all, as we think about this fellowship, there is what might be called contradictory a contradictory walk with the Lord. So listen to what John said. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, 
that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, John said we lie and do not the truth. Imagine somebody maintaining that they enjoy fellowship with God, that they enjoy fellowship with fellow members of the body of Christ, and yet they are walking in darkness. What John is saying is that is a contradiction of terms. It's not possible. Our relationship to the Lord and with one another can be impeded in a couple of ways. Number one, it can be impeded if we are not living right, morally speaking. In Ephesians 5 verse 11, Paul would say, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we read about a man that was involved in an adulterous relationship. And apparently, those within the body of Christ in Corinth were accepting of that kind of relationship. They had, done, they had done nothing about it. And so Paul was grieved at that breach of fellowship that was taking place among those believers. And so Paul, in writing to the church there, said to purge out that old leaven. Why? Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Individuals who engage in immorality. They're not in fellowship with God. As a matter of fact, John would say that's a contradiction. You can't go out and drink and smoke and cuss and act like the devil and expect to have a relationship with the Lord. It doesn't work that way. You can't expect to be in fellowship with God's people and maintain that kind of, that kind of lifestyle. And that's exactly what John is saying here. It is a contradiction of terms. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, John said, we lie and do not the truth. Our actions are not backed up by our deeds. But then, note if you would, what is said in verse 7. We talk about a consistent walk in the Lord. There's a contradictory walk in the Lord, and there's a consistent walk in the Lord. So listen to what he says in verse 7. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What's John saying there? If you and I, as God's people, are walking in accordance with the will of God, if we're walking in cadence, if you please, let me give you an example. Over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul talks about the disorderly. In verse, in verse 6 of chapter 3, he said, We command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly. The word disorderly is a military term. It means to break rank. Here's somebody who is walking out of cadence with the Lord Jesus Christ and with His Word. Well, when we're, when we're trying to live in harmony with the Word of God, we're not breaking rank. We're not out of step with the Lord, but rather we are in step. We're not out of cadence, but we are in cadence. Our heart, our life is attuned to the will of God. John here is not saying, though, that we are sinlessly perfect. He's not saying that we are above sin, that we're not going to make mistakes, that we're not going to, to succumb to temptation from time to time. And we'll have more to say about that in a moment. 
but there is a consistent walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I said just a moment ago that when we talk about those who walk in contradiction to the teaching of God, that one of the ways our fellowship is interrupted with the Lord is when we engage in immorality. I would also point out that if we embrace some kind of false doctrine, that too can impede our relationship to the Lord. When John talks about the blood of Christ availing constantly in our lives, he is, he is saying that with the understanding that we are true to the teaching of God and that we're striving to live a morally upright life. Over in 2 John 9, John would say, whoever goes on and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. But, he said, he that abides in the doctrine of Christ has both God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. So that relationship is uninterrupted. It is, it's not impeded. So, in verse 7, those of us who are striving to do our dead level best, who are, who are trying to live in accordance with the teaching of the Lord, John is saying the blood of Christ is constantly at work in our life. That ought to be reassuring. It ought to give us a sense of security in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me make this observation very quickly. If we're doing everything that we can to live in accordance with the teaching of the Lord, we need not fear. What do I mean? Well, are we reading the Word of God regularly? Are we feeding on the teaching of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son? You remember Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You're not going to grow spiritually and be what you ought to be in Christ Jesus if you're not spending time in this book. There's just no way it's going to happen. There's no way that you and I can maintain a healthy spiritual relationship with the Lord if we have a closed Bible Monday through Saturday. It's not going to work. But if you're doing that, then you're on the road to faithfulness. Secondly, if we are regular in our worship to Almighty God, that's another benchmark that helps us to assess whether or not we're walking in the light. How regular are we in our worship to God? Now Jesus said, God is spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. One of the byproducts of our worship to God is is this mutual edification that we enjoy from one another. Read Hebrews 10, verse 25. We are encouraged by the presence of one another. Every time we come to worship, it affords us the opportunity to bound the presence of God, to give Him the glory that He's due, but also to recharge our spiritual batteries. So if we're regular in our, in our worship to Almighty God, that's going to help us maintain this fellowship with deity Maintain a sense of faithfulness to the Lord. A third thing that I would simply point out, we have to be involved in the work of the Lord. And by that, I simply mean we have to be involved in, in the work of the church. The work of the church is dependent on each and every member, not just a few members, not just a select few, but rather every member has a place within the body of Christ 
to make a contribution. Paul would say in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What good works? Well, we're to be involved in evangelism. We're to be involved in edification. That is the building up of one another. We're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to be involved in benevolence. That is helping those in need. As James would say in James 1 verse 27 or Paul would point out in Galatians 6 verse 10. If we're doing those things, then we're going to stay on track, spiritually speaking. The beauty of God's Word is it's transparent. God says, if you do this, if you live in harmony with my teaching, then you're going to be all right spiritually. So listen again to what John said. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. The third thing now I want to share with you in our study is the forgiveness that we enjoy in the Lord. We talk about facts as they relate to the Lord, our fellowship in the Lord. But there is also forgiveness in the Lord. John is writing to New Testament Christians. He's writing in the latter part of the first century. And so in verses 8 and following, the first thing that he does is underscores the awareness that we are to have for sin. And what John is saying is we need to be very forthright about sin in our own lives. So listen to him in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What's John saying? He's saying that as a child of God, as a member of the body of Christ, we're going to make mistakes in life. There's no, there's no need in trying to skirt the issue. There's no need in trying to sidestep what the Bible teaches. What is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 3 at verse 4. We know that all sin. Well, what about the fact that I've obeyed the gospel? That I'm now a child of the living God. I thought John said that whoever is born of God does not sin in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 9. Well, what John is saying there is that once you obey the gospel, you are no longer in the habit of living a sinful way of life. In other words, you've given that old lifestyle up. You've gotten out of the sinning business. It's not a way of life for you anymore. In Galatians 6 verse 16, Paul would say, God forbid that I glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul there is saying that when he obeyed the gospel, he put to death the world and all things therein. He emphasizes that in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, when he said that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, even so we also might walk in newness of life. Paul said, when you obeyed the gospel, you gave up a life of sin. But we understand, as John said, that we're going to make mistakes. That we're going to fall short of the glory of God. We're going to succumb to temptation. And so that's why he says in verses 8 and 10, there's no need in trying to say that you're above sin because the fact of the matter is you will sin, you do sin. So, having said that, note if you would 
not just this idea of being aware of sin, but acknowledging our sins. Note, if you would, verse 9. In verse 9, John said, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is saying that when we do make mistakes, and let me just, look, just drop down and look at chapter 2 for a moment. In chapter 2, John said, My little children, these things I write to you, that you sin not. That's the divine ideal. John is saying, when you obeyed the gospel, the ideal set before you is to rise above sin. John would say over in 1 John chapter 3, whoever is born of God does not commit sin. He's not saying you're going to be sinlessly perfect. He's not saying you're, going to, you're not going to fall to temptation. You're not going to succumb to the devices or to the deceit of Satan. He's simply saying you're out of the sinning business. The, the divine ideal, rise above sin. But he said, if any man sins, who's he talking about? He's talking about every one of us. Why? Because every one of us falls short of the glory of God. Every one of us succumb to temptation from time to time. So, these things are right to you, that you sin not. But if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is pictured here as our advocate, as our attorney. He is standing before the bar of heaven. He is pleading our case to God the Father. The basis for, the basis for pleading our case is His blood. Go back and look again at verse 7. In verse 7, John would say, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us, not from some sin, not from a little sin, but from all sin, from every sin. If you're in Christ Jesus and you're trying to live a Christian life and you're doing your dead level best, John is saying you need not worry. The blood of Christ is at work in your life. And let me say this. This past week I was asked a question by a member of the body of Christ about falling prey to temptation. This particular gentleman asked me, well, what if I know something is wrong and I do it? Does that mean there's no hope for me? Does that mean that it's, it's all over for me, spiritually speaking? In Hebrews chapter 5, the Hebrew writer talks about one of the byproducts of spiritual maturity is being able to discern between good and evil. I think most of us, we know what's right and wrong, we know what's truth and error. We know what's, we know what's good and evil, right and wrong, truth, error, etc. We understand that. Just because we know the difference between right and wrong does not mean that the devil's not going to come calling and knocking on our door and trying to lead us into, into sin. Just because we know something is wrong or something is right doesn't necessarily mean that we're always going to make the right decision. If we were sinlessly perfect, we would, not lead, we would not need the Lord Jesus Christ. We would not need the blood of Christ. But we are not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. Now the, the writer of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, would say there is no temptation taken you but such 
as you are able to bear. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able to bear. He will with the temptation make also a way of escape. The problem is not that there is not a way of escape. The problem is sometimes we make the wrong decision. We succumb to temptation. We fall prey to the devil. Why do you think Paul would say to the church at Ephesus, neither give place to the devil? Why would he say, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the wiles of the devil? Because he understands, or he understood, he knew that the devil was at work. And that as a child of God, it would be very easy for a Christian to give a door of opportunity to the devil. It was true then, it's true now. We make bad decisions, what do we do? John said we confess our sins. We repent of those things, we turn from them, we confess them, and guess what? They're forgiven. Listen again to what John said. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God we can go to bed at night knowing that our sins are forgiven. The Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. There is a lot of difference in somebody who has a cavalier attitude that says, I don't care what the Word of God says. I don't care what the Bible teaches. I don't care whether or not I do this or do that or say this or say that. And somebody who has a tender conscience and who's trying to do the best they can day in and day out. There is a tremendous difference there. And so, to somebody who's tender-hearted, who's trying their dead-level best to live a Christian life, who succumbs to temptation from time to time, the Lord is simply saying, listen, the blood of Christ is availing in your life. That is security. Now, on the other hand, somebody who is cavalier, who's not worried about living a faithful, godly life in Christ Jesus, they've got a world of problems. Why? Because they've gone back into the world. They've gone back to the devil. But we're not talking about that. So, foundations for spiritual security. I would hope and pray that all of us are on solid footing when it comes to our spiritual lives in Christ Jesus. The only way to be on solid footing is to read and study and meditate on the truth of God to arm ourselves with what the Bible teaches and then to trust that what God says in His Word, He will hold true to it. Lean on Him. Trust in Him. You see, what the devil wants you to do is to feel insecure. What the devil wants wants you to do is to just throw up your hands and say, there's no use in trying. Every time I try, I fail. I'm just going to give up. Well, the devil has gotten a lot of people like that. But I would hope and pray that we're strong enough and faithful enough to keep marching on. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, why not come to the Lord Jesus Christ this very hour? Why not do as Paul was instructed to do many, many centuries ago? When Ananias said, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Acts twenty-two sixteen, And then live faithfully. Until death, Revelation 2, verse 10. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon. Why not come as we stand and sing?